Hey, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui, and it is Friday, which means we have a new episode of the King's Table podcast. Well, if you guys know, the full podcast is over on our King's Table YouTube page, but for a few minutes to see if you want to go over there and find it, here's parts of that episode that I hope you enjoy. So listen up. We were sitting around and one of the guys, we were talking about net worth versus you know income, and net worth has kind of become like a badge of honor, and it's good. I mean, you want to build wealth, right? That's like the thing, but somebody made the comment, they said, you can't eat your net worth. And I was like, man, that comment stuck with me. Because when things are good, and you're making a bunch of money, and you've got good net worth, yeah, everything's great. But when you get to a point like Aaron, what you're talking about, whether all your net worth is in your house that you can't sell, or all your net worth is in 100 houses that you can't sell, it doesn't really matter. Like, you could be in the same boat as one guy that owns one house, or a guy that owns a hundred houses, if he's not making any money or she, then you can't eat your net worth. And that statement kind of like, I sat with that statement for a while because yes, I'm not saying we shouldn't measure our net worth or want to build our net worth. We obviously should. Um, but I've been more of a, like, how do I make more money guy for most of my life? than you know, how do I build my net worth and getting into GoBundance really got me thinking about net worth more but I think you can pendulum swing on that. As you're saying right now, you could have $20 million of net worth and no cash and you can't eat. You can get, you can get foreclosed on. That's why people are getting foreclosed on with houses with equity. Right. right? They got a hundred thousand equity in their house and they still get foreclosed on. They're like, cause they can't actually make the payment. They can't eat. Mm -hmm. That's why I think for, I've been thinking more about this cause the last few years as I've accumulated some more assets and I've, you know, maximized value and then traded out of them and think, and I, it's it's kind of created this and it makes me think of for investors as a whole and i'd be curious as to your guys' thoughts on this kind of strategy it's as i've kind of created this and aaron i know you do this because you're in and out of a lot of stuff it's kind of this flywheel of liquidity where you're having consistent liquidity events to where you don't necessarily have to feel like you're sitting on a ton of dry powder and leaving a ton on the table by not being in deals, but also finding some type of rhythm in your investment model or in your investment um, strategy that creates, you know, liquidity events where you're trading in and out of deals, you're trading up, you're whether it's flipping or whatever, but just thinking about how as an investor just looking at all the people that I'm looking at going, you got X amount of dollars in net worth and you've got practically no liquidity right now and how much of a financial burden that puts you in, a, a mental burden that puts on you. It just reminds me of going, man, that that you know, net worth and your balance sheet, yep, that's that's nice, that's sexy, you know, that's a that's a nice feather in your cap. But when that feather in your cap doesn't translate into saving your ass when water gets hot, that's where you can take the whole ship down, right? So just how important it is to have a consistent rhythm of liquidity in your investment model. Yes, of course, in you know business, you want consistent revenue and cash flow coming in. But when you think about also your investing model, it's kind of like your line of credit to your know your balance sheet and making sure that you've got that liquid you know kind of consistent framework throughout your investing in uh, in and outside of the year that gives you somewhat of that you know one protection but two also you know an advantage 
I know right now I'm sitting on, in an offensive, advantageous position, being more liquid and having more cash at this stage of where the economy is at versus the other guy who's got 20 million bucks in net worth, but is you know asking friends for loans right now so he can pay his mortgage and his liabilities for the next six months. That guy is not in an advantageous, you know, opportunistic, exciting position right now versus my net worth may be a little bit lower than the guy who's got 20 million on his balance sheet, but I'm much more capable of being in an opportunistic, advantageous position right now. And so I think it's just an interesting thought to think about how important liquidity is at certain stages when it matters the most. But he's really important right now. The it goes, it goes back to that business plan idea I had from a month ago. And the more I talk to people about it, the more I think it's a thing where there's this giant fake bank account that people feel like they have that they used to be able to tap into. I mean, I in 2021, I had, I don't know how many liquidity events from refinances, from sales, from purchases, from quick flips, but I had a lot of them. You know, my monthly... My monthly horizontal income is solid. It's great. Like I, I, and, but it's, but it's the same that it was, it's actually a little bit lower than it was in 2021, but like, but the, but the horizontal, like it's enough to live on. It's enough to live on great, but those liquidity events are huge. And I, but I think the average normal everyday person has also had a bunch of liquidity events from refinances, from different things that happen. I met some, I met some people last night that are like, you know, the, uh, at this event that I was speaking at. And he's, you know, he's, he bought a house like five years ago and he makes $60,000 a year and his house is worth $250,000 more than he bought it for, you know? And like, there was no way he was ever going to get $250,000 in savings making $60,000 a year. The only way it could have ever happened is with a house, right? So now he's like, I got $250,000 in savings and he's feeling like a good investor and he's feeling like a saver, but then can't really tap into it and understands the power of it. So yeah, I think the the idea of that a lot of people have this this fake bank account that the traditional methods they can't tap into anymore. I still think there's going to be some big opportunity with somebody, just like the friends of ours that are that are and and it's not one friend that said like, hey, can I get a second deed on my house? Can I get a second deed on my commercial property? Can I get a second deed on my investment rental? It's a lot of people are saying, hey. But I mean, the the personal residence is the most common. They go, I've got two million in equity on my house. Can I get a you know? Can I get a two hundred fifty thousand dollar loan? Can I get a million dollar loan? Because they're like, hey, well, that's fine. I'm never going to sell my personal. I'm I'm totally going to pay that off because my personal. And you go like, we're tapping. People are trying to figure out how to tap into those invisible bank accounts, which means they don't have cash. The people that are going to do the best right now are going to be people like Maddie that have a bunch of cash. All right, guys, and remember, if you liked that episode, go to YouTube and search King's Table Podcast. But be careful, there's actually two of them out there. So look for the one that says Ashish, Aaron, Matt, and Mike. If you have trouble finding it, you can also go to our website, kingstablepodcast.com, and it'll send you to the YouTube page where you can easily go and subscribe and listen. So I hope you guys liked that little snippet of the episode, and I hope you want to go hear the rest. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.